David Hale is back with us. David, good evening. Hello. Hello, gentlemen. All right. There we go. Uh, we had a couple of questions for you. I don't know if you heard our previous conversation. Do you, do you know who Jeff Spicoli is? Yes, of course. I'm a, a white male over the age of uh, 40. Therefore, I know who Jeff Spicoli okay. is. I don't. I don't disagree with your characterization either. I mean, I think Trevor Lawrence has a few inches on Sean Penn, but uh, aside from that, I think it adds up. The really? pretty, pretty similar look. Yeah, there you go. Um, all right, so we're running through this. Uh, in the University of Miami history, they've come up against some great quarterbacks. You can go all the way – you can go back pretty far. Uh, recently, we saw guys like Russell Wilson when he was at NC State or Sam Bradford at, at Oklahoma – uh, we saw Tim Tebow. We, we've seen a Teddy Bridgewater, but I'm not so sure that Trevor Lawrence might not be the best one. Coincidentally, I think the guy he might remind me the most of is a guy that played for Miami, Vinny Testaverde, just because of his size and his pure passing ability. Yeah, I'm. You know, draw the comparisons however you want because there's there's plenty of them to be made, I guess. But I think. Trevor Lawrence is probably the most complete package from day one of a college career of a quarterback, you know, maybe that we've ever seen in college football. And and I'm not one prone to uh, making vast overstatements like that. I I would certainly not suggest that he is the greatest college quarterback of all time. I think when you look at strictly at a college level, you know, Tebow certainly fits the bill. Lamar Jackson is a guy who, um, I think was electric as a college player, great NFL player as well. But when you look at just sort of what the prototype for a quarterback is in terms of the football IQ, the mobility, the size, the arm strength, the accuracy, um, the leadership skills, everything that you look for in that position, Trevor Lawrence grades out as an A-plus on it. And there's just not that many guys that you can – point to and say they fit that bill i think you know testaverde is probably a good one just based on as you said on the body size i kind of compare him a little bit to to elway probably with the the combination of arm strength and accuracy i think andrew luck is another one that i've heard a lot but i don't know that any of them quite tell the story of what trevor lawrence is and you know i've, I've talked to his uh high school coaches and, and his high school coach who, who now is an assistant at usf was telling me that you know, they got together, I think it was before his uh, senior year of, of high school, and he said to Trevor Lawrence, what do you want to do? You know, what do you want to accomplish in your career? And Trevor Lawrence said, I want to be the best player to ever play the position of quarterback in football. And uh, I don't, I think he's still a long, long way away from, from that point, but uh, you certainly can't rule it out if you've watched him play at all. So that would lead me to the question, and I don't want you guys to, to, to turn my mic off, but is he underrated? When you look at what he's what he's accomplished, and he, I mean, he's lost one football game, and that was a national championship game. The guy's gone almost a calendar year without throwing an interception in college football. His size, he's listed at 6'6", and I believe he's close as close to that as anybody's going to be uh, as far as a true listing of size. His ability to run, his accuracy, his commitment to the game, I'm not so sure he gets enough publicity. Yeah, I I would hesitate to say that that arguably the most famous player in college football is underrated, but I, I see where you're coming from, and I don't necessarily disagree because when you think about it, a he's on a team where there's a lot of other guys 
that get a lot of attention, and deservedly so. You know, Travis Etienne is a hell of a player. Um, you look at some of the guys who have been on this team before him, Christian Wilkins and uh, and Cleveland Farrell and Dexter Lawrence and Justin Ross and T. Higgins. I mean, there's a, a long, long list of guys who are very talented who played at Clemson along with Trevor Lawrence that have taken some of that spotlight. And the other thing is with Trevor, we all expected it. Right, he came in so refined and such a big name, and was so successful early on that almost everything that he has done since winning that national championship as a true freshman has felt like, oh well, yeah, of course he did that. Like we were expecting it, so it sort of lost some of the excitement that comes with watching a guy who is that great, um, and, and because he makes it all look so easy too. I mean, there was a you know you could watch Lamar Jackson and watch him sort of shift into overdrive as he was running away from defenders and be like, wow, I can't believe I just saw that. Trevor Lawrence doesn't do a lot of stuff that's like that. It's the stuff that he does that is really hard for everybody else, and he just makes it look so easy that you almost tend to overlook it. And I think that's really, when you say how, you know, maybe he's underrated, I think he is because of that, because our expectations are so high and he makes it all look so simple. Well, here's what he makes look simple. Also, he's gone 314 passes without an interception, which takes him back to last year against Louisville. And if he's the throw an interception, if he's the throw an interception in this game, you've got to force him to rifle it down the field in traffic. And maybe you get a deflection. It bounces off of someone's hands. But what's remarkable, I think, about his streak is he's very capable of throwing the ball wherever he wants, into a tight window, deep, short, a lot of quarterbacks, I think, Don, you probably would agree with me, because they know they've got the great arm, they'll rifle it in there just to see if they can. And he doesn't do that. He doesn't mm-hmm. put the ball in harm's way. No, I mean, he's a super smart quarterback, too. And that's and to your point, I think that that is sort of the knock against some of the big-armed guys. And that is probably Elway's story early in his career in a lot of, a lot of respects. I know uh, another guy playing in the ACC who's awfully good that, that I talked to recently was, was Sam Howell. And, um, he had some sort of Brett Favre comparisons as a guy who's got a really big arm and will take advantage of it by trying to hit some tight windows. And, and he'll even be the first to say, I probably shouldn't always do that. Um, and that is just the luxury of it. But I think you, you see with, with Trevor Lawrence, I mean, it is the, the IQ side of it. And that is, you know, that, that's where I think a lot of the Andrew Luck comparisons come in. Is he's just so smart at seeing the field, going through his progressions, and, and Again, he has the ability to run, to keep plays alive, um, but he doesn't waste plays. That's that's the biggest – I mean, he is capable of going to the end zone on every throw, but he also isn't trying to go to the end zone on every throw. He is trying to move the team forward with every single snap, and I think that is really where one of those, those big things that sort of sets him apart. It's In some ways, you know, it's sort of like uh, – the old joke about jazz that it's the notes you don't play. Sometimes the Trevor Lawrence, it's the throws he's not making that actually are, if you go back and watch the film so impressive that he didn't kind of jump on, on a forcing a throw in or something like that. He was, he's patient. He's able to wait for the right play instead of trying to force a play. So how does Dabo Sweeney done this? How, how has he been able to keep this team together, keep his players from, from going to the national football league, early etm coming back for his senior year i I thought that would be an impossible task what's the formula (laughs) 
Um, I'm, well, first of all, I will 100% agree with you. I have no idea what was going through Travis Etienne's head when he decided to come back. Uh, I don't think I've ever been more surprised by a player coming back for his senior season than that one. Um, but I think there's a lot to it. I think number one is that um, they recruit a very specific type of player to Clemson. And uh, I, I wish I could tell you what the secret sauce is. I know they recruit a lot fewer players than the average big-name school does. They are very uh, intent on getting guys with a very specific outlook on playing football. Um, there are guys who love to play the fo- to play football, that love the grind, that love the work that goes into playing football, um, and they're in it to win. You know, They're not there to, to shine their stats up and win a bunch of trophies. They're there to win football games. And I, I'm not saying that that's not what other schools do. I think Clemson is just very, very intentional about it. And so when you look at like who might leave, who might come back, and they've had plenty of guys leave too, but I think you get a group of guys that are probably more likely to consider coming back and playing for another year than you would get at, at maybe another school. But the other thing is Dabo really creates um, a, an environment there that is hard to leave when you don't necessarily know what your next step is. And I mean, Christian Wilkins said, I didn't, I came back cause I wanted to be a first round draft pick and I thought I could. And, and that wasn't the grade that I got after my junior year. Um, Travis Etienne didn't get a first-round grade. I, I don't know who the hell was grading him because, uh, <laughs> to me, he's the best back in the country, but that he didn't get it. And so that is a type of thing that motivates some of these guys, and they want to come back and prove that they can get better, and Clemson gives them that opportunity. And then, you know, the last thing is, like, you get to be playing football at Clemson, and they got these, you know, $60 million facilities, and you've got absolutely everything, like, Aside from the paycheck that comes with the NFL, everything about life at Clemson is better than what it's going to be at the next level for you, probably. So might as well kick back and enjoy it if you think you're still getting something out of it. David Hale from uh, ESPN, college football writer ESPN, is with us. Some great games in the league this week, and this is what they wanted with a league-only schedule. You have Notre Dame and Florida State. I think maybe uh, next to Miami and Clemson, the other one most intriguing is Virginia Tech and North Carolina. Yeah. And those are two teams that are really fascinating to me because I'm not sure we've really seen either of them at their potential. Because when you look at Virginia Tech and boy, oh boy, they have looked really good in their first two games, but they've done it without 20 plus players and two defensive coaches who have missed these games due to COVID protocols. So what does Virginia Tech look like at full strength? They've yet to have Hendon Hooker start a game at quarterback for them. Who is their incumbent starter? The guy Braxton Burmeister, who has been out there, has been sort of up and down, but their ground game has been terrific. I think this is really interesting to see what Virginia Tech could be like at full strength. At the flip side, Carolina came out and played an opener against Syracuse. It was sort of a meh type of performance. They had a nice fourth quarter that pulled, they pulled away. Then, because of opponents having uh, a situation with COVID, they go two straight weeks without playing a game and come back out and look a little flat again last week against BC. I'm interested to see what Carolina can do when they get a little momentum behind them, when they kind of have the rust shaken off and and they're going week to week to week playing football games. I think those two teams, while certainly the expectations are high, I think certainly the performances have been uh, relatively good so far. They're probably two in the league that have been as affected by the virus as anybody. Um, So it'll be really, when you see those two go head to head, we're going to find out a lot about both of them, I think. When you're when you're looking over the ACC, 
who are your if, if they have Miami is Clemson's number one, and you have uh, Miami ranked number seven. Who fills out your top five? Give me three more teams uh, that, that you think are are highly competitive in the ACC. So, I mean, obviously, I think Notre Dame still has to be in that conversation. Um, they do. It's yeah. been a little while since we've seen since we've seen the Irish. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, look, I, I think they've got a lot of talent there. I've always kind of viewed Ian Book as a guy who is going to not lose you any games, but I'm not sure he's the guy that wins you the big games. I think Notre Dame is sort of right there on the cusp, but I don't think, you know, I think they have probably the highest floor among the teams. I don't envision a scenario in which Notre Dame loses three or four games, but I also don't know that there's enough talent on that roster for them to eclipse Clemson at any point. Um, I think Carolina if everything went right, could probably go toe-to-toe with Clemson. But I also – we've seen them go out and put in a couple of pretty mediocre performances. They played a ton of close games last year. I, I've yet to really feel like you're seeing Carolina on all cylinders. Um, I guess I'd go Virginia Tech at five. But the other team is I, – I, I'm just – I'm so in the bag for and I feel terrible about it because they keep disappointing me as Pittsburgh just because that defense is so good. And uh, if their offense could just get out of their own way, and we saw this against NC State in which they just flubbed away one red zone opportunity after another after another, and it eventually came back to bite them. I still think they can be a very competitive team in the league. They're not going to be an easy out for anybody, but they're their own worst enemy. Before we let you go, David, uh, you're going to be at Clemson for this game, I'm told. So how do you see it shaking out Miami and Clemson? You know, I would be utterly lying if I didn't say that I think Miami has made some huge strides since the last couple of times we've seen them play against Clemson. But the last couple of times we've seen them play against Clemson have not been pretty. Um, I think Brent Venables does as good a job for scheming for the type of quarterback that Derek King is as anybody. But there's a couple of things that have been historically not in Brent Venable's wheelhouse. One of them is going up against tempo. He has struggled against that at times. The other is you look back across the the history of of big games at Clemson, and they have been eaten alive by tight ends multiple times, whether it was Scott Orndoff in the upset that Pitt had a few years back. Uh, Everybody remembers O.J. Howard in in the two national championship games against Alabama. Uh, Nick O'Leary had a huge one in that 2013 blowout uh, against Florida State. Um, and Miami's got some tight ends that I would not want to mess around with. So those two things to me are if they can, if Brett Lashley can really get tempo and get Clemson on their heels defensively, and uh, Derek King can find Brevin Jordan and use his tight ends to really effectively uh, get some explosive plays, I think Miami has a pretty good chance. But the other thing is if that Miami defense doesn't get after Trevor Lawrence, um, they're going to have a hard time. And the problem is you get after Trevor Lawrence and then you're exposed to Travis Etienne. That, it, it is just really hard to slow down Clemson's offense. I think a best-case scenario is Clemson kind of defeats itself a little bit and you get some of those big plays to the tight ends and a few in the running game from, from Derek and, and the backs, and you can kind of keep it close into the fourth quarter. If I'm a betting man, though, I think Clemson's giving 14 I would probably be right at about that number. Yeah. Well, here's the one thing. Miami does have Derek King at quarterback. In the last two times they played uh, Clemson, Kaya got knocked out 
the first time, and De- uh, Rozier came in, and then the last time it was Rozier at quarterback, but all his weapons were gone. Amon Richards was, was gone. Hernan was gone. Walton was gone. So at least this time, Miami's got a full complement of weapons when they play Clemson. So we'll see what happens. Uh, as always, you've been a great guest, and uh, thanks so much for being with us. And uh, we'll see what happens in Death Valley. All right, looking forward to it, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you. That's uh, David Hale joining us from ESPN College Football Writer.